the world of comics podcasts is unpredictable. Yeah, like is the episode going up at 9 a.m. Eastern or Pacific? When you least expect it. Or are they going to skip a week again? Everything changes. I mean, I do love a good bonus episode. They are coming. Oh, oh, is it a guest? Acts of Friendship, the comics podcast crossover. Oh, I see what they did there. Coming November 2018. Wait, what are you doing here? WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we're chatting with Elliot Rahal, who's got two books out this week, the final issue of Quantum and Woody at Valiant and the penultimate issue of Hot Lunch Special at Aftershock. We talk about those books, some of his other Valiant work, Stan Lee, The Punisher, the comic scene in Minneapolis, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, real quick, big shout out to Brian and Mark's Pinball Arcade Monsters. Uh, in case you forgot, WMQ Comics co-sponsored a charity pinball tournament this past weekend in Atlantic City, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, the showboat's got a really nice arcade with the awesomest array of pinball tables outside the Silverball Museum in Asbury Park. Uh, and it was cool to just hang out and suck at pinball for a little while and play arcade games with my family for a good cause. And, and it won a Star Wars poster. Uh, but anyway, uh, we've got some great episodes coming down the pike for you guys. Uh, I've kind of been trying to plan out the rest of the year, and I thought I'd give you all some sneak peeks. Uh, next week, we get to do our Acts of Friendship episode, the uh, comics podcast crossover. Uh, we're going to have on Chris Edelman from Chris's on Infinite Earths and Chris Osborne from Play Comics, and uh, we're just going to talk about why we do what we do. Uh, also coming up, we've got an episode we recorded a while ago, but should finally see the light of day in which our own Matt Lazowitz challenges the great Chris Sims to a Batman trivia contest. Uh, but we also have shows that don't have uh, guests named Chris. Uh, we're going to reunite the three amigos once again. Uh, that's me, Matt Lazowitz, and Rob Lynch to talk about our favorite holiday comics. And we're keeping the Acts of Friendship theme going into December as Charlie from the Young Ones podcast is going to have some feelings at us about X-Force. So uh, plenty of podcasts to stuff you're stocking with here at WMQ Comics, but for now, here are me and Matt and Elliot. Um, so I guess, you know, before we get too deep into things, you know, it was kind of a, a we're recording this on the 12th, it was kind of a big sad day, you know, for the comics community. Uh, you know, what, what were you... You know, where, I guess where where the question to ask, I guess, is where were you? Uh, you know, when you got the news about Stan? Uh, yeah, I was at my day job, um, and I was on the floor of my day job, and um, you know, it just popped up, and I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't surprised. You know, I don't sure. think any of us, I don't think any of us were surprised, right? If we're all being honest with ourselves, ninety-five uh, years old, no, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it was um, it was certainly a uh, a lightning bolt. You know, it was certainly this moment of oh, and and now that's over. You know, and and you know, I don't think we're gonna really. Um, I don't think us as a, as a culture in, in the comics, people who are involved in comics, I don't think we're going to really feel his loss um, uh, for some time. I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's, we're not going to really feel it until maybe the next San Diego Comic-Con where it's like, or, 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 or C2E2 where he's not there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, I, I try to explain to people like, Oh, Stan Lee died. And you know, like that, I, I try to explain to people what it means, but people don't really know what it means because like, you know, and how old are you guys? 38. You're 38. Mm -hmm. So I did not grow up reading Stan's stories. I mean, like I read his characters obviously, but not his stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, the, 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 the Walt Disney of comics just died. That's how I just tell, you know, it's just like, it's just, there are so few people within, 
in industry in in our culture that were the movers and shakers you know where you can point to them and say they they built this thing and like you know i mean henry ford you know like i mean it's just it was a it it's it's a really weird thing you know it's a really weird thing it's like the it's the this it's the akin to bowie dying you know where yeah. it's like this person who who immortalized themselves so much through their living life that we never thought they could die. Um, and, uh, you know, in some ways they, they never will die uh, or, and then there's the whole afterlife thing, but you know, um, it's, it's a really, I think it's a really confusing thing. And I saw some of the tributes and they're beautiful and, you know, I my heart goes out to everyone who feels this. I mean, I obviously feel it in my own unique way, but there are are, are elders who are um, who are close personal friends, and they got their break because of Stan. And I I'm, I'm sorry for their loss, you know. But at the end of the day, I you know I think we, you guys read all those articles that were coming out, and sure, um. You know, at least um, at least that's over now, you know, and, and, and that's not much of a consolation, but at least that's over. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, moving on from that at this point. Uh, yeah, sorry to bum everybody yeah, out. Well, hey, I, I, asked the, I asked the question, but uh, yeah, it's all good. Um, you know, what the, the, the icebreaker question that we usually ask our guests when uh, a legend of the industry hasn't well, died the same day. <laughs> hey, how do you feel about that death? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what, what were the comics that, that you were reading when you first got into the medium, either, you know, as a fan or, or professionally? Well, you know, I, I, um, I came to comics pretty late, um, which is crazy. Like, I have such imposter syndrome. Um, and such feelings of fraudulence and I've been reading comics for like 16 years, um, and 30, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but you know, you meet people who are like, oh, I grew up, like I learned to read reading Spider-Man or I, uh, or I've been reading since I was eight or, or nine years old, you know? Um, but I started reading comics when I was, um, 15, 16, you know? Um, and I got lucky. I had a buddy. I've always wanted. I, I read a lot of fantasy growing up. A lot of fantasy novels. Is a real quiet boy who liked cats and fantasy novels. Um, and uh, you know, I I never had a comic book store growing up near me. Mm -hmm. The uh, the power of a driver's license changed all of that. <laughs> um, and uh, I had a friend who I was who was fortunate enough. I mean, my friend Mike James changed my life. He stood up at my wedding, and he uh, introduced me to uh, comic books and Army of Darkness in the same year. And he he ruined my life. Uh, <laughs> Groovy. Yeah. Um, so my first ever series was the was the Garth Ennis's uh, Punisher Max. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy good. And then, and then I was like, what else has this guy Garth Ennis done? And, uh, you know, and then, you know, and then I got lucky and, um, I read primarily trades for many, many years. And then I turned into a, you know, a weekly, weekly warrior. And then, um, and then I ran out of money and, uh, and then I went back to trades and now I'm back to single issues and back to trades and single issues. And it's been a fight. Reading comics has been a fight with my wallet for many years. <laughs> like, like any fan. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, Punisher Max, that's, that's going right into the deep end to start, huh? <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, you know, when we, um, was, I didn't know what the deep end was. I didn't know anything, you know, and like, Again, I, I, I'm 30 years old and I've been reading comics since I was 16. I still feel like a new reader, which is not a good thing, by the way. Um, that's for me or for this industry. Um, but, like, 
I didn't know. And I, the only thing I did know is that I liked the Punisher. Like I like, you know, I've seen the cartoons. I've done a few the video games and all that stuff. And I liked the Punisher, you know, that's all I know, you know? And, and then I loved that series. Cause I was a 16 year old boy reading Garth Ennis. What 16 year old boy doesn't love Garth Ennis. Or the Punisher. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, curious. Um, is that still your sort of go-to Ennis or have having read more of his work? Is there another one? Oh, yeah. I mean, preacher, come on. Like, that's okay. what yep. yeah. I mean, that's what opened. That was next for me. It was preacher. And then I read all Brian K. Vaughn's work and, you know, and I'm still consuming a lot of uh, those classics while reading uh, modern day stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, no, my, my, my go-to for Garth Ennis um, is, is, is preacher, but like, if you're asking me the thing that opened the door for me, it was it was the the Punisher Max series. And and now you've got you know you've got your own uh, crime comic coming out, uh, Hot Lunch Special from Aftershock. Um, yeah. You know, f- uh, from from an outside perspective, you know, this book, which obviously has you know very big family themes, uh, feels feels very personal. Uh, you know, as the person, you know, obviously as you know, as the person writing it, does it kind of you know, does it feel personal for you? Yeah, I, I wrote it to be personal um, on a lot of uh, different levels, I think, or maybe two. I don't know. Um, have you guys moved around at all in your life? You know? Not really. I've lived in and around, I mean, within two states my entire life from north jersey to south that that's uh, that's the extent of it that's okay that's all right i love me i love jersey but just because i'm a huge springsteen fan but um <laughs> you know i've been i've been uh you know i don't know it's so complicated but you know i'm from the uh, illinois suburbs and um i don't like the illinois suburbs very much uh they are uh a sort of placeless place, you know, there's not, there's no, it's designed specifically not to have culture. Um, and that always bothered me. And then, so it drew me to Chicago, the big city, and then lived in New York and I lived in Tennessee. And then I went back to Chicago and now I'm in Minnesota with my wife and, um, you know, like we've made a home here and my wife is from here and, you know, like making a home here has been hard, you know, like uh, moving here with no connections and getting a job and, 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 and trying to become financially stable and, 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 and then her legacy from living um, in the small town of Minnesota and just places like Minnesota is such a uh, unique, strange culture and place and, and like, you know, my fight or flight is to learn more about it and in in appreciate it and love it and um you know i've gotten the opportunity to do that so i i I wanted to put that in there right that um emotion and then also um you know i'm obsessed with the you know like small world you guys like bojack horseman and all sure yeah 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 you know how like uh in Bojack, uh, recently in the last uh, season, uh, they they had a joke about how like uh, it was like a tape recorder fortune. You know, they were old money from a answering machine tape recording fortune. You know, and it's like uh, like it's like the whiteout fortune. You know, and it's like <laughs> you know, it's like of course somebody is a billionaire from inventing whiteout, but you would never think about that. You know, and like um, I love that kind of um that kind of like small windows like oh this is the person who invented like the thing that goes on the end of a pen you know and it's like like and it's like crazy and then you know i grew up um my father's family um my mom's family's white and then my dad's family's uh, lebanese and i grew up um primarily under their influence my mom was there but in terms of like family extended family that was my extended family it was this large uh ridiculous sort of 
Arab family, and they're all very um, enigmatic people. They're all very, like, charming people, and they're also, like, kind of roguish people. Like, they're, you know, like, we are, they're, they celebrate, uh, I grew up, you know, celebrating a legacy of um, sort of, like, cutting it close to crime, but we weren't criminals, you know? Like, and... um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff you mentioned in the hot lunch special, you know, I opened the book with a, of a kid doing a book report and, um, giving some information. And a lot of that stuff is a lot of the story in that story he's telling is based on truth. Um, and based on, um, stories that we've been passing down for a long time. And, um, you know, I love my family very much. We don't get along very well, but, uh, you know, they're very important to me. And uh, I just thought, and they also run a small business based on food concentrate where they buy and sell fruit concentrate. And that's the, how they, you know, that's how they, and it's just like, so I was thinking about all these things while I was on the road one day and I would stop and got a sandwich and like, you know, and like that's, it all just kind of, you know, it's just funny how things blend together, you know? I also know maybe I'm reaching from things I love, but I also got a real Coen Brothers-y kind of vibe that there's two kinds of, crime stories that maybe they just speak to me but one of them is your your competence porn your oceans 11 and your leverage and the other is your fiascos which are yes. your coen brothers things where is a great word by the way thank you <laughs> it, it, it there's a, a a great tabletop rpg called fiasco that are, is always some sort of caper that goes horribly wrong halfway through, yeah. and then you have to you you roll on a table and you find out what went horribly wrong, and you have to dig your way out of it. And that's the vibe I got, and because I mainlined the first three issues and fell in love with the the setting and the world that you're building there. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Um... You know, I I would let you know the fiasco element of it. I think there was no other. I I do know what you're saying. I think there was no choice but to play it in in the fiasco element based off of the the world and the characters that we had because you know you have your big bads which are these hardened seasoned criminals and like. The good guys were actually not good guys, you know, they're anti-heroes or whatever you want to call them. Like, they are criminals too, but they're new. So, like, the only way for them to win is through, like, you know, spunk and through, like, a sort of almost, like, farcical um, violence, you know, like, uh, an accident and, 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 and tragedy and good fortune and all those things um and then also but on the other hand like i'm not gonna lie you know the gone in 60 seconds the oceans 11 the um most of the time that's boring to me you know um it's just like someone is just explaining to you how good they are at stuff and like then like they show it and that's cool but it's just like it's boring and like it telegraphs too much and like i'm sure there could be a way i could find to do something that would be fun but what i like about the story that i do is like every time i think i'm going one direction i and then i'm running out of time in the issue i have to speed things up so i i just try to put in a left hook in, in every single issue to, to sort of escalate the tension and in, in time too. Um, and the big left hook of the first issue, you know, the thing that really establishes that the, the stakes of this whole thing is, you know, you know, right away, uh, you know, it, we've, we've got the, the death of teenage, uh, you know, uh, Ben Corey, uh, you know, were you, was that, was that like a, a, was that a difficult scene to write? You know, were you expecting going into that, expecting any kind of blowback or, I mean, obviously. So funny. 
think if people bring that up, you know, I was planning on killing that kid from the get-go. <laughs> he was born to die. <laughs> like, yeah, no, he was, he was a character created to die. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, honestly, like my biggest fear when, when showing the story was as soon as somebody was reading the story, they would go, oh, this person's supposed to die. Um, and the fact that that didn't happen makes me feel very good about myself. But like, I mean, what I needed was a character that was so innocent um, that they were totally neutral and they were good. And then I needed somebody to set an emotional tone, which was love, but love for a group of people who are not the most like ethically courageous people, you know? And then, and then, and then um, I needed a reason for a war to erupt. And like, what do you like? You know, if you kill an adult, like, I feel as though there's almost like a trade you can make. Like, we see it all the time in the news. But mm-hmm. when you kill kids, like, people people don't like it when you kill kids, man. Like, <laughs> thank, thank God, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's so funny how, like, we're so willing to, like, excuse the, 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 the horrific murder of an adult. But, you know, like, and, and we won't go to war over that, but, like... And I mean war in like a general sense, but like, sure. you know, but when like, uh, you know, but when children are in question, like it's, you know, we're all more likely to get involved when children are in question, you know, and then like, you know, and then how do you bind that further through natural relationships? And like, you know, of course, it makes sense for a mother to want to go on the, you know, revenge. So like, you know, it, it all like, you know, just using the existing emotional relationships that we all have at our disposal, you know, and, 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 and then also manipulating the audience and, and being, um, um, an emotionally abusive person. <laughs> uh, how, how far ahead are you mapped out on this series? Is there like a defined, uh, end issue? Yeah. I mean, it's a five issue mini. Um, I've completed the fifth issue. Jorge's working on it. We're, it's going to come out. Uh, I don't know when, hopefully soon. I think maybe next month or January, there might be a gap just because of the final issue thing. But like, uh, you know, I would love to do more. I certainly have more stories. Um, but if this is it, this is it. You know, I, I really don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Jorge, uh, obviously phenomenal artist. Uh, how did you uh, look into working with him? Um, that would be Aftershock, primarily Mike Martz, the editor in chief. Um, you know, I uh, I knew what I wanted for this book um, in the type of style I wanted, and um, you know, Aftershock is, uh, is is although they're a new publisher on the scene, relatively new. Um, they have at their disposal like a, a, a pretty impressive roster of artists who are all equally amazing. And I worked with Mike to find somebody and um, I saw Jorge's name and I, I had been an admirer of his work and I saw his line work and I'm like, this is what I want. You know, again, going off of that Coen Brothers vibe and then you know i also went to film school so i love the coens um mm-hmm. but like um you know and and i i said offer him whatever you need to offer him you know co-creator credit whatever like i don't care and um mike did that and here we are and and as a result though i'm very lucky to call jorge a friend as a at the end of this we met in new york and um he's just such a beautiful man um i i, I, I it was really cool to get to know him So moving on to some of your other work right now, you've been doing quite a bit of uh, writing for Valiant Entertainment. Um, yes. You said that, you know, you're, you know, with an entry point into comics with Punisher Max, that was after the 90s heyday of Valiant. How did you yes. get into the, the Valiant fold? Um, well, you know, 
Valiant relaunched in 2012 or 2011? 2012, yeah. 2012. 2012. Yeah. Um, and I was around in comics then trying to break into comics and I knew the uh, PR guy, he was a former editorial intern of mine, um, Hunter Gorenson, and he told me that they were coming back, and I did research. And then, you know, it was also like an opportunity as a reader. I just started reading their books. It's like, oh, there's a brand new slate. Pretty easy to get on the ground floor with this, you know? Like, so I actually read their books, and I really enjoyed them, particularly um, I did love James's run of Quantum and Woody. And then um, I have got, and I loved Archer and Armstrong. I loved Excel. And then most recently, Lemire's Bloodshot was incredible. And, um, you know, so was Kent's um, XO and his, his ninja, Ninjak run, I should say. Um, you know, and um, I developed a relationship with them and did some shorts for them. And, uh, I got a couple opportunities, you know, um, Dinesh Shamdasami and Warren Simons um, took a took a chance on me when they didn't need to, and um, it, it it meant a lot. And um, you know, uh, I did I did what I, I I could do. I mean, it's they those some of the valiant characters I think are really underrated and um, in the right hands of the right creators. I think can do a lot of really cool things. I'm particularly excited for Savage Queen and then uh, Livewire. Um, those two upcoming titles are, are, are seem to be pretty exciting to me. Uh, yeah, no, I, the, those are, those are, I got to talk to Vita Ayala a little bit about Livewire coming up and I think that's going to be uh, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of fun. Uh, now you're wrapping up uh, Quantum Woody uh, next month, uh, you picked that book up from Daniel Kibblesmith, whom you worked with previously uh, on the uh, Doorman books for Heavy Metal, and uh, took it in a more uh, character-driven direction. Did you, did you feel, you know, go, coming onto that book, did you feel kind of any compulsion to like one up your friend on Quantum and Woody, or were you pretty sure of the story you wanted to tell, you know, regardless? Well, I didn't know what story I wanted to tell. Um, I mean, the picking up of Quantum and Woody was a little bit of a um, an anxiety, I should say. Uh, not only was it an incredible opportunity, and not only was I having to follow Daniel Kibblesmith, but also there was when the DMG buyout happened. So I didn't know what the future of Quantum and Woody was. I, I was really writing it on the fly, um, which is not I'm something I'm sure they want me to say, but like that's the truth. Mm-hmm. But also, it's a testament to the editorial crew of like how like you know they really stepped up when all that stuff went down. I knew what I wanted to do with the brothers, which was take them in a different direction. Um, and yeah, partly I wanted to take them in a different direction. A because this was an opportunity, and uh, guys, I you know I, I never know how I am perceived of in, in the comics world. I never know all those things. And, you know, I'm always feeling like I'm always about to, this is my, every book is my last book, you know, and there have been very few opportunities where I've been able to show people what I can do. And um, I made a conscious choice to take the, the book in a radically different direction. And I did that in the direction I took it because I am not as funny as Daniel. Um, and I can't do the type of joke writing that Daniel does. So it would be, it was, it would, would be foolish of me to even try to replicate that tone. So my only choice was to make it my tone. And, um, that's what I did. I don't know if it's good. Valiant readers seem to think it's good, which is nice, but you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's um, it's certainly a, I think, a departure, but at the same time, I think it's in line with what Daniel was doing, and it's respectful of his work. Um, and I think it, I think that all the volumes together will fit nicely because Daniel did do some really great character building work. Um, and he did do a lot of great stuff along with being just so funny and he's so sweet um, and he's such a good storyteller. So 
I just did my best, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, what am I going to do? Am I, am I going to end a series trying to replicate someone else's voice or am I going to make it mine? And like, you know, it's a call either way, you know, like you can, you can, you know, and I don't know if it hurt or helped me, you know, I mean, I, uh, I, I have, I'm not doing anything with Valiant coming up yet. I would love to do something with them more, but you know, again, I, I think maybe everyone's waiting to see how the, the final issue comes out. Uh, so some of your other Valiant work included um, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe, where you got to play with the the wide cast of the entire Valiant Universe and tell a story with Ninjak, who's an archetype, a character that I really dig, that sort of Batman smartest guy in the room sort of hero. Um, how much fun was it to be able to sort of throw him against these characters that are technically really out of his weight class and have him, you know, come out ahead, even if it was in some odd ways at certain points in the series. You know, I tried to have as much fun with it as I could, but uh, my arms were tied a little bit behind my back for that series. Um, Ninja versus the Valiant Universe is not a canonical um, Valiant story. Um, it is based off of the digital web series. So I was adapting from the web series, which was not released. So I was adapting from footage, finished footage, and from from um, also uh, screenplays or, or scripts. And then also I was told to do my own thing. Um, so it was a little confusing. Um, it was a really cool project to be a part of. Uh, the way I approached that project was, okay, Ninjak is diehard, hurt him. Um, and that was like, that was my number one motivation was just to beat the shit out of Ninjak. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, well, like, cause like, I mean, I was trying to figure out what's, you know, I mean, you want to think of the, the, the reader, the reader's experience. And it's like, why am I, um, why am I picking up this book? You know, why am I spending my money? And, you know, we all know the answer for Brian K. Vaughn or, or, or Gail Simone, but for Ninjak versus the Alien Universe by Alien Rahal, like, you know, what's your reason? And it's like, oh, well, your reason is this digital universe thing because it's not canonical and Valiant fans love canon. They're so supportive, but like they are, they love their, they love their streamlined universe. And that's part of the reason why Valiant is so successful is because it's not very confusing. Um, so my strategy was, okay, beat the shit out of them, you know? Um, and there's, there's, I think it worked. I don't know. I don't know. I had fun doing it. I mean, it's a lot of fun to beat the shit out of a character. <laughs> um, we're recording on uh, the 12th, which is the day Veterans Day is being observed here in the U.S. And you wrote a really outstanding uh, Bloodshot's Day Off one-shot, which was at its core a story about two soldiers coming home and dealing with how that home has changed. Where did that story come from? Um, you know, it's a lot of different things. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge history fan, um, but, you know, I just, I don't know. You, you just think about all these um you know, I got the assignment, and uh, Warren told me what he wanted me to do and, and write about this, and um, he said he wanted more of uh, what I gave him in Divinity 3, Escape from the Gulag, and and so I took that note, um, and these are pretty undefined characters. I love how Bloodshot's Day Off is called Bloodshot's Day Off, and it's not about Bloodshot. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, you know, it's just, 
I don't know. Being a veteran is very complicated, I think, and I'm sure it's very complicated for them, especially uh, for um, the armed service people who fought in Vietnam, where there is proof. I mean, it's proof. I mean, there's no other way to put it, you know, that the U.S. government lied to the United States civilians and you know, we couldn't win that war and we weren't there for any other reason. And they were throwing away lives for no reason. And yet those those individuals, when the call came, still came and, and they put themselves on the line for their country. And they were, in my opinion, betrayed by their country. But then there's the other story of World War II, which is the story that we would rather tell ourselves. Um and that's the story we would like to think of as the truth of uh, as is America always rising to the occasion of good and just. And, and that was true. And, but the other thing is true. And there's so many other different true things out there. And, and uh, you know, and, and it's complicated. And the only thing that is true, though, is, is that these individuals are... Um, extraordinary. Um, and my brother is a veteran. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted to focus on that, you know, just that emotion. Um, you know, I, I write a lot of my, my, my work based off of particular emotions. And I, I just wanted to come at it from a a level of um, respect, I think, and not um, some sort of like cheesy jingoism or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, I don't know if that was accomplished, but it's, um, I wanted to deal with it in a way that I thought was appropriate. Okay. Um, you were doing stand up long before uh, you broke into uh, writing comics. Uh, what about the former, uh, you know, stand-up? Do you think helped prepare you for for the latter? Yeah, um, one voice, you know, stand-up is all about voice, um, and two, stand-up is a really raw art form. You know, it's a live art form, and you know every part of it is something you're thinking about, whether it's a pause or a look or a turn of phrase or holding for laughter, all these small things, controlling the audience, controlling movement based off of your design. Um, you know, you don't think about those things as an audience member, but as a stand-up comedian, you are actively thinking about those things because there isn't much, you know, a joke is a story. So it's like, there isn't much for you to wow. Like I don't have an artist at my disposal. So you're really using your tools as best as you can. And then also, you know, with the old saying is comedy is, is, is all about timing, 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 uh, timing and pacing and um, surprise. Uh, and, and I believe that that is true for all writing. I think it's more true for comedy because in order to get a surprise result like to get a laugh you really need to impress people um but uh with uh i think drama or with horror it's all about timing and pacing and surprise like if you watch a really boring drama and you know how the end is gonna go why are you watching the movie if you're watching a horror if you're watching a bad horror movie and you're, you're, you're choreographing everything as it happens, you know, that's not good. If you can see the joke coming, that's not good, you know? So it really, I developed an ear for that um, because of comedy specifically. And then, um, 
you know, um, there's probably more that it helped with. Um, I had something else too, but I'm forgetting what it was as I speak these words right now. Um, but like, I don't know. It's it, and then you know, it's just um, it, it it just teaches you how to live in the moment too. Comedy, like writing a script, you know, you don't want to, you know, comedy is an art form where you have to like kind of be in the moment, and then also. It's a performance. That's the other thing. I, I view every script I write, and I, I view every book I write as, a, as an act of performance. I am, although you are not seeing me on stage, I am performing to you, the audience, what I can do. And that's how I approach every opportunity I get. It's like, this is, you know, this is a performance that I'm doing. Um. Who, were, who did you have any particular? I, I guess uh, you know who are you, who are your stand-up heroes? Just out of curiosity, a few of them I don't want to talk about anymore, unfortunately. Um, Fair you know, and I don't, you know, I don't want to get into that. Um, but that sucks that those guys are awful uh, and monsters because they were groundbreaking monsters, and it's very confusing. Um, but you know, I, of course side with the victims and all that stuff because it's just what the fuck dude jesus christ um but like you know steve martin was a big one uh john mulaney right now i think is the best one of the john mulaney and uh fucking maria banford are like in my opinion the two best uh comedians out there right now um, I, I love mulaney i i've watched his specials like so many times <laughs> incredible it's incredible um you know don rickles again going back to the arab thing don rickles is you know jewish yes but like you know and again like i to do this in a hot lunch special like jews and arabs are very similar people you know um and and that's like the tragedy of it you know um of their dysfunction too um right now in the middle east but like you know like culturally they're so similar um and you know uh my entire family was just a bunch of don rickles like strictly, <laughs> you know i mean yeah that sounds great but you try living under that like it's awful um i'm but, sure a lot of feelings got hurt <laughs> yeah yeah but um you know i loved um that kind of stuff. I also love Letterman. I love Carson. I loved uh, Bill Hicks. I loved, uh, you know, I mean, and then also indie comedy and, and, and all the indie comedy darlings of the 90s. And, you know, I still listen to comedy. Um, I find most of it quite boring. Um, but I find most comics now boring. Like, you know, and, 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 you know, and it's not because of the people writing it or whatever. It's just like, I have to really search for material that I attach to, just like prose, you know, like, and boring is a bad word. I just should, just should say, you know, I'm not, when, when you study something so much, you um, become a worse audience member. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, you mentioned your wife earlier, uh, Heidi. She's a TV reporter up in the Minneapolis area. Um, do you guys have the, like the kind of dynamic where you know you find that she gets recognized a lot when you're out about in town, whereas like if you're at a con, the opposite happens, and you're kind of the one getting uh, you know recognized. It's so funny. Um, what an interesting question. Uh, neither one of us get recognized. Um, except, well, like you have to, like Minneapolis is such an urban city. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, most of her viewership comes from outside of the cities, but I have seen her get recognized. It is really cool. Um, you know, she's won a couple moral awards and a couple Emmys, and she's highly accomplished um, and very good at what she does. Um, and it's pretty cool to watch. Uh, but like, you know, I mean. At a con, like, I mean, of course people are going to know who I am, 
at a con, but only a certain amount of people. Like only like if you have a hundred pros, only twenty five of them might know who I am, and the rest are like whatever kid. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like we we are both, I think, sophomores in our business, where like um, we we get cred, but we don't we don't you know. We, we want a little bit more, you know, it's like, Hey, what the fuck, you know? And, and like, you know, uh, but I, I, I certainly, I think that's just cause we're still young and, and driven though. I think, um, I, I'm sure everybody feels the same way. Absolutely. Um, how, how is the, the comic scene on the whole in, in Minneapolis? You know, do you have, do you kind of, ha- you have your shop that you frequent and everything like that? I do. I mean, the comic scene in Minneapolis is is interesting. Um, it could be a lot better, in my opinion, but it is very good, which is really weird. Um, you know, um, you have some world class retailers who aren't located in the cities proper; they're in the suburbs. The cities itself actually only has one and a half retailers of comics, which is a tragedy. But I think. I guarantee you that'll be fixed soon. Um, but that's just because of a changing market or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like some world class retailers, um, there's the school, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, which is a resource. Um, and they produce some great indie artists, like really focused on like that, you know, zine, hipster art. I mean, real art school kids, you know what I mean? Like super. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. super school kids. Um, but they're all incredibly talented. Um, and they also get involved in the community and put on um, a uh, independent show with um, a few local publishers uh, like uh, Uncivilized Press and Odd Odd Books and, and Grey Wolf and, and stuff like that. And they put on something called Optoptic, which is an art festival, which is really good, but it happens once every two years because it's run by indie art students, you know, um, but it's great. And then there's SpringCon and FallCon, which are just located in the grandstand over at the fucking Minnesota State Fairgrounds. And it is the weirdest, fucking amazingest thing run by the Minnesota Midwest Comic Book Association. You get a steak dinner if you're a pro at the end of it. They give you a baked potato and steak dinner. Nice. It's, <laughs> wow. It's just and so you bring a can of soup and it costs ten bucks to get in. It's such a working class comic book um convention. Uh you know, but the problem with it is is that it's um a not-for-profit mm-hmm. and uh not that that's bad but i'm you know the minneapolis st paul minnesota loves to read you know and um it's a highly literate state and chicago's far away and there's a lot of people in wisconsin minnesota the dakotas and iowa that would come here for a large-scale convention um, and you could have, I think, a C2E2 like show in Minnesota if you really wanted to. Um, but that's not happening right now. That being said, Dan Jurgens, who lives in, you know, Golden Valley or not Golden Valley, Edina, um, is trying to, to bring that here. And like, that's what's weird about Minnesota is that there's all these like legacy artists uh, jurgens mankey uh burn too no maybe i don't know a lot of dc cats around here and then there's a lot of studio space in northeast i'm fortunately a part of one of the studios called world monster headquarters which is the home of xander cannon who does kaiju mix yeah um yeah xander's a great guy john bivens who did the second art of spread uh, Peter Wortman, who is doing uh, Avatar The Last Airbender right now. Um, Katie Rex, who wrote uh, Charmed and the Jade Street Protection Services and mm-hmm. uh, doing a bunch of cool stuff. And she's a really good friend. So, like, 
This is a really great community here. I think there's a lot of great assets here. It's certainly not Portland um, or L.A., but, you know, you get a better standard of living, and I'm not sure if I want to live in Portland or L.A., you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, you, what are you reading uh, now when you have time to read? I'm a little behind. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I just finished... Starship Troopers and uh, God by Reza Aslan. And now I'm reading this book called Sapiens. And then comics-wise, the classics that I'm reading, I'm reading New Frontier uh, right now for the first time. It's pretty cool. Um, I have been steadily reading Transmetropolitan. I'm almost finished with that. Um, and then currently, uh, I am behind on my current simulation. Oh, I was going through Sweet Tooth too, but like currently I'm, I'm reading Batman, Superman, Venom, um, fuck, Paper Girl Saga, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, Archie, um, and then... There are more, but, like, I've been falling off because of my schedule, and it's been really hard for me to keep up. Um, but I, I do my best to, 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 to at least be reading nine titles, you know? But um, it's been a hard... Oh, October really fucked me up, guys, in my whole life. <laughs> oh. Work stuff or personal stuff? Oh, just, like, I was work too many books at once day job, went on vacation, and then I went to New York Comic Con, and then I had a a Comic Con in South Dakota. So I traveled for half of October and ended up squeezing 90 hours of work for the first two weeks, and it's just, there's too much. So I'm still kind of uh, crawling out of that right now, you know? Well, uh, Elliot, this has been uh, a lot of fun. As we're wrapping up, uh, how can people follow you online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Yeah, uh, Twitter is great. Um, that's my best one. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about deleting my Facebook. But, uh, yeah, if you find me on Facebook, sure. But I probably won't re- take your friend request. Um, nothing personal. But uh, Twitter's the best place. And, and you know, I'm not... I, I try to be responsive, but you know, sometimes I, I don't, especially if people are weird. <laughs> awesome. Elliot, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I hope this was good. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQComics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA.